choir musicians, thank you so much for leading us in such sweet worship and celebration and praise. We just want to thank you just as an expression of our appreciation. Beautiful. Came a long ways since the, my days in a little church of about 60 with a few kids singing in a, five or six kids singing in a choir and a few adults. It's a sweet time. If you have a Bible, you can turn with us. If you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in the pew or chair nearby in front of you. We'd encourage you to take a Bible out and turn with us to the New Testament book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 1. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped to be held on to, to keep him from, from going, if you will, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's bow in prayer. Gracious Father, as we consider your word this morning, I pray that you would put our minds clearly focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would see him for who he is and his work For what it is. And that we would respond in repentance and faith and worship. The one who is truly worthy of our worship. Yet humbled himself to the the most cruel form of punishment and death. For our sake. For our sake. And so God we give you praise and we give you honor. We pray that our hearts would be open to listen and to hear what your word has to say this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And these 11 verses here at the beginning of chapter 2, we read of the most magnificent mission of compassion ever known in the history of mankind. And this morning, it's part of my goal is to help convince you of that if you're not already convinced. To help you see it for what it is and then respond to it for what it is. You see, it not only provides an example to us of compassion, but it provides us the very means and ability thereby to show similar compassion towards others, to both experience it and to overflow 
in compassion. Question that we ask you this morning to start off with is, who do you really live for? Who is it that you're living for? You might even ask, is it a world of one? Is it your world that we're all living in? We can often live that way, right? Or do you maybe live for your family? Do you live for those who are kind to you and looking out for you? Maybe you're kind to those who are most like you or near you. Or maybe those who share the same political beliefs. There's a lot of reasons we can be kind, but not only always do they demonstrate the kind of compassion that we see exemplified in Christ. You see, we may be moved to compassionate feelings, I'll say, by advertisements for starving children abroad, or maybe it's for little puppies, right, that are left outside and they're so sad, right? Or maybe you're moved to compassion for, like, Colts fans today, right? After that, whatever that was yesterday. Or maybe you feel badly for Hoosiers fans after getting smoked. Sorry. But we find ways to keep ourselves from really doing much more than feeling moved or feeling compassion. We feel compassion, but we often don't do anything about it. And the further removed people are, either in proximity or in likeness or in view, the more excuses we find, the more reasons we build up the walls around us to say, yeah, that's not my problem. And we may even believe that, well, they kind of deserve what they get. Maybe you're like me this past week coming up 31 and somebody goes flying around you on the shoulder just putting everybody at risk, right? And what do you think? What In that mind, what do you think? I hope that policeman that sits up here in Westfield's waiting for him. I hope he gets what he deserves. And that might be a good solution to slow him down or whatever. But in this life, we tend to go there. We tend to go to judging and considering that how bad can they be? They deserve nothing from me. No pity, no concern, nothing. He probably, the poor guy was probably late for his first day on the job and had been told he'd be fired and his, his power went off and, it, right, it's just no way could he be that rude. But in fact, we find all kinds of excuses. All kinds of excuses in this broken and troubled world to make everybody else's problems something that we don't really have to deal with. We are indifferent and self-absorbed. And at Christmas time, I think sometimes the great disappointment we end up feeling is because we are so self-absorbed. We've already made plans for what the perfect Christmas is going to be. In our minds, if everything just lines up right, then Christmas will be beautiful and magical, right? It'll be amazing. And rarely does it meet our expectations because they're about us. We are on center stage, not Jesus. Well, this morning in this passage, it is our goal to put Jesus Christ on center stage. To bring His amazing compassion on center stage. We live in a world that's troubled and divided and desperately needs that. And and James 4 tells us, that self-absorption lies at the heart of it. James 4, 1-3 says this, What causes quarrels 
And what causes fights among you? Is not this that your is, is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Our pursuit is to spend it on our passions. And when we don't get what we want, we're disappointed, we're angry, we're frustrated, and we lash out at those we think get in the way. We need our eyes and our hearts opened up to by Christ's humble birth, by His sinless life and His perfect death. And we, we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, where Paul speaks of the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all. That those who might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, He came to people who did not desire Him. And yet He came, He lived, and He died. That is the kind of compassion we're going to look at this morning. And each year at Christmas, our celebration of Christ coming to earth, we have this amazing opportunity to be reminded of this massive compassion. This amazing compassion. This single greatest mission of compassion of which we are the needy recipients. You see, Christmas is a reminder for us to wake up. An annual reminder to wake up. Some of us probably are tired. We need to wake up from our self-absorption and reflect the heart of Christ. In these first few verses here, Paul is admonishing, is encouraging the Philippians to have the same mind in them that Christ had when He came. It's a powerful reminder each year at Christmas to consider divine compassion, especially for us. Those who've received the love and compassion of Jesus Christ and have experienced His forgiveness and His kindness towards us in giving life, life eternal. So verses 1 through 4 again, again say this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only at his own interests, but also to the interest of others. You see, Paul is contrasting Christ's humble mission and work against the selfish ambition of our lives, of our work that resides in the heart of of each man. So in this list of things received from Christ in verse 1, it begins with encouragement or coming alongside and ends with affection and compassion or your, your version may read mercy. You see, Christ has given us what we did not deserve and He's calling for us to humbly do the same. Oxford languages defines this thing of compassion as this. Sympathetic pity and concern for the suffering or misfortunes of others. So by that definition, just watching a commercial and seeing that poor puppy, right, who's in dire straits, sleeping outside in the cold, which most dogs did where I grew up, 
that's another story. But this, this is all you're feeling is sympathetic pity and concern. That something's missing there, right? Something's drastically missing. I can still be incredibly self-absorbed and dif- indifferent largely and feel a little pity, feel a little sympathy. You see, what's wrong here is that a starving man does not need your sympathy or concern. He needs food. A thirsty woman, a woman dying of thirst, does not need your pity or concern. She needs some water. Or if she's from the South, she needs some sweet tea, right? A lost child does not need your pity or concern. They need you to help them find their parents. You see, people who are far from God, lost and facing eternity in hell, away from God in a place of suffering for eternity, do not need our pity and our sympathy. They need what God provided through His Son, Jesus Christ. Not merely a nice story about a sweet baby in a manger, but they needed God to go the difference. Distance to go the distance to provide that which they have no means to gain on their own. They needed redemption. They needed forgiveness. They needed payment for sin. So you see this morning, that is why Jesus Christ is center stage because His compassion was and is more than sympathy and pity. It was an active expression of love that moved to meet the needs of those at their deepest point of need. James, speaking of genuine faith, he said this in James 2.15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Sounds good. That's a kind thing to say, right? But finish the statement. How worthwhile is that? How helpful is that? Be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? And he's pointing out here that faith without works is dead. And in the same way, words without action, without moving to help, are dead. They're worthless. What good is compassion without action? It's just thoughts. You see, our celebration of Christmas brings God's great mission of compassion back to center stage. And by doing that, we're able to consider the magnitude. You see, Christmas, or our celebration of the, the, the incarnation of Christ, calls us to consider the magnitude of compassion of Jesus, the greatest compassion ever displayed. Here's a question. You've been busy, right? I can tell you've been busy. You know I've been busy. It's just that time of year. What have you done specifically, and I hope it's something that that has been helpful, what have you done to just stop and consider? To consider what great thing has been done. Have you taken time? Maybe for you this morning is the first time you've really gotten to do that. That you've really set aside time to do that. And for that, man, we praise God that you're here. That's, this is a wonderful thing together with others to come and just think deeply to consider what great things God has done. But when you really think about how great the compassion is, the, how great the magnitude of His kind action towards us, it should cause us to just be stunned and to be in silence. 
and to wonder. Wow. But man, we're busy. And the lot, this year's been busy. It's been full of stuff. And, and it's like as it comes to the end of the year, it just gets faster and faster and faster. And then it's, it's Happy New Year. Or it's the presents are torn apart and going and everything's stuffed, all the paper's stuffed in the bag before it hits the floor and working to clean up. And oh, now we can rest. We can go sleep, take a big long nap. And we've still not taken time to consider the magnitude of what he's talking about in verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, though he was in the form of God, though he, the creator of the universe, the eternal Son of God, though he was in heaven, he did not see that as a thing to be grasped. In other words, he didn't hang on to that and say, so what? They, they dug their hole, let them lie in it. Let them, just let them go. He didn't hang on to that, but instead, he, and, and he did not equate equality with God, a thing to be held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and having, being formed, found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. A few quick things just to show the magnitude, the magnitude of his compassion. First, the compassion of Christ, the greatest mission of compassion, is an infinitely humble compassion. That creator, that eternal God, who came and placed himself in a humble manger. And we've heard this a thousand times, so much so, that it almost does us no good to even talk about it. Except we need to. We need to think of it again. We need to put it center stage again and think, that is massive. Just to give you a fraction of something to think about. When we lived in Waterloo, Iowa, back in, in 1999, if you remember that, it was gearing up for a 2000 election. And Waterloo, Iowa was a place where people came, all the candidates came through multiple times. You could get free pizza, free meals. They were just showing up anywhere and everywhere, and you could just show up and you could meet these people face to face, right? Or at least you might not get to talk to them, but you could see them pretty close up. Well, we, we heard that one particular governor from Texas was running and we wanted to hear what he had to say. And so we ran downtown and, and, and got right there near the ropes as he walks from the bus and the band's playing and everything. And we've got our two boys. Elena wasn't with us yet. And, uh, I think Laura was hanging on to one of them. The other was standing, the, the older one was standing down here. So you'll figure this out without using names. And, and, this governor comes walking by and he stops and he looks and he says, give me that baby. And of course, Laura's quickly like giving him over. I don't know if she thought giving him away or what, but it seemed like a good thing. And we had like a Lion King moment, right? We hold up the baby and, and the photographers are all taking the pictures exactly what they want. It made the front page of the Waterloo Courier big time, right? And, and so here's this, this baby. And, and everybody's like, oh, you know, we're like, oh, he touched our baby, right? And we laugh about that. And it's kind of a big thing. And if we see someone, you know, someone's mildly famous or really famous close up, it's like, wow, he, we were near him. We talked to them. And then you think, wait a minute, 
That's just another person. Big deal, right? So a governor of Texas, later to be a, a president of the United States, held her baby. It's pretty cool, right? To have that picture on your desk. It's pretty cool. But it's nothing. When you consider the distance that... He, Jesus didn't cro- just cross a line to come over and say, Oh, let me, let me see your baby. Jesus left the authority and throne room and glories of heaven and He descended and He didn't just come to meet us. He came to be our servant. He came to serve us in the deepest need that we have and in the most dire straits that we were in. And He humbled Himself. He humbled Himself infinitely from heaven to death. See, but in his humility, he wasn't just demonstrated by the distance he came from heaven to a lowly manger, but his, but also by his heart towards the hurting, sinful, lost. Matthew eleven twenty nine says, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." He came to us, pressed under the weight of sin and death. He came to the poor. He came to the needy and the broken and the blind and the sick. And He came that they might have life. But Christ's compassion is not only infinitely humble compassion. It is divinely purposeful compassion. You see, it says here that He became obedient unto death. What does that mean? Obedient to whom? Right? He became obedient to the Father's compassionate mission of saving the lost. He obeyed how far? Man, we'll, we may, if you know, kids, some of you are like, you'll obey. But you're not obeying to the point of death. You don't even want to obey enough to get up early in the morning. Let alone to the point of death. Right? Well, this kind of obedience says, I'm all in. This is the magnitude of His compassion. He is all in. He became obedient to the point of death. Really, Christmas... The arrival, the celebration of the arrival of Christ on the scene is less of a birthday celebration, which we often call it. And that's fine. That's a, it is a great celebration of the birth of Jesus, but it's really a lot more like D-Day celebration, where we celebrate the beginning of a mission, a powerful, deadly mission to spare lives. And that is what we see each year. A mission that God promised after the fall of man in the Garden of Eden and initiated at the conception of Jesus in Mary's womb. Jesus, who came into this world to save sinners in the midst of our greatest need. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, and when the right time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. How great, how great is His loving compassion. First John 4 says, In this love, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, made, made evident among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. That sounds great. That's amazing. He would send His Son. But it's, it's the next verse, right? This is how great that love is. In this is love, not that we loved God, because we didn't, but that He loved us when we didn't and sent His Son to be the propitiation, big, really, big spiritual word, meaning payment for, payment in full for our sin. 
And as the payment of, for our sin, we see the cost, the cost of His compassion. We give beautiful gifts and we give, we spend a lot of money on gifts. Some of you may even go in debt for your gifts. Hope not, but, but you may spend big money for a gift to show someone just how much you love them. Well, you usually, usually, you're giving those gifts to people that love you back, right? That reciprocate that love. You don't generally randomly think, man, I want to spend major bucks on that person who hates me. That person, that neighbor down the street who wishes that I would move and be gone. That's not usually who you're buying the big gift for. But in the compassion of Christ, that's exactly what he did. He spent the full price, his life, for those who were his enemy. It is an immeasurably costly compassion. The incarnation proclaims glorious compassion, good news for the greatest needs of all mankind. And, he, and, and that need was this, very simply, that we are sinners. And that as sinners, we have a price to pay for our sin. There's judgment that, that awaits every sinner who, who on their own has no payment for their sin. Except that son came. And he paid that price in full to be received by those who in faith will accept that gift. Receive him was read earlier, right? Those that will receive him will be called the sons of God. And he went the distance. Romans eight thirty one and 32 says, so what do we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all, us all, how will he not also with him generously Give us all things. That's an amazing thought that in love, God went the distance. And that there's nothing short of that that He won't do for His children. To care for them, for love, for, to love them and provide for them. To be near them. To be Emmanuel with them. And some of you so desperately needed that this past year. And you need that reminder again this year. That Emmanuel, God with us, went the distance once and He'll do it again in this sense. That He will continue to love you fully to the point of your every need. Your every need. Jesus Christ went the distance, giving the greatest gift, the gift we desperately needed, even before we knew it. So how will we respond to these things? How do we respond to such a great compassion. Paul, when he began writing this, he already assumed that there should be a response. When he says up front, if you have received the encouragement and comfort and spirit, what that word if really meant is since. Since you have experienced the comfort of Christ. And he was writing to the believers in Philippi saying, I know you have. You are in Christ. You have trusted Christ as your Savior. You've, you know His encouragement. His coming alongside. You know the power of His Spirit. You know His affection. You know His compassion. And so, there's a ex- response expected. It's a painful thing when you love someone and there's no response back. It's difficult. Painful, deeply painful. But there is a response that all of us will give one way or another to the compassion of Jesus Christ. We will either A, not receive it, not accept it, not experience the benefits, or we will receive it, 
we will accept it and we will know the full benefits as the children of God. And that is, that is what we see here before us is a, is a choice this day. Do you still see baby Jesus lying in a manger? Or do you see him as the king on his throne during this season? Do you understand? Do you see him only as the humble, helpless babe in a Bethlehem manger? And if you do, then it's to fail to see how much you need him to be on his throne. You see, that was why he came, that ultimately the Lord from his throne came to take care of sin and then to ascend to his throne to make sure that which he, his mission was set to accomplish would be carried fully through so that one day you forever will be with the Lord. The kind of compassion demonstrated by Jesus Christ, it calls for response. And you can delay the response. You can think of, I'll do that later. But the call today is to say, why would we do that? How does that make any sense? If you truly understand the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ, why would you wait when someone so great has offered you such a great gift at such a costly price? Most of us on Christmas morning, we'll go, nah. I, I know, I know you got some really nice gifts and, and that was really kind of you, but... I'm good. Let's just, let's just do it some other time. Most of us get up, even the old, older folks around, among us are like, Ooh, I, I can't wait to see what's there, right? We're a little bit excited. You may be tired, but you're still excited. The little kids among us, they know how to respond to gifts, right? What do you do with a gift? You are excited to receive it, especially when it's coming from someone you know loves you, someone you know cares for you. How do we respond? Philippians 2.9 tells us that everyone will ultimately respond. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him, Jesus Christ, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, finally, Christmas provides us another Opportunity to magnify Christ's compassion as we recognize our vastness of need, how great our need was. When I say magnify, I'm not talking about a microscope magnification. I'm not talking about a magnifying glass magnification. Because that takes something small and makes it appear big. When we talk about magnify in terms of God... We are talking about that thing which seems far away and is huge and massive like a telescope. And it brings it near to us so that we can think on it. Many a night I spent out in my backyard with my dad looking at at the rings of Saturn and looking at the moons of Jupiter and looking at craters on the moon. Those things which you just can't hardly see with the naked eye. But you pull up that that, that telescope and you bring it near and it's just... That's beautiful. It's more than just a dot in the sky. And that's what we should be doing at Christmas. Is, is by each year, opening up the Word of God. 
repeating the story of, of Christmas and of the life of Christ and why, and, and rehearsing again what the mission of Christ was and how great His compassion is. We bring it near and we see it and we sit in wonder, enraptured by this reality. It's like going to the IMAX and watching a movie instead of just sort of sitting there watching a screen at a distance. All of a sudden it's like wrapped around you. And you're like, oh, I'm like here. I'm in the middle of it. And yes, Christmas is intended to help you feel like you're in the middle of it. Why? Because you are in the middle of it. In His compassion, He put you squarely in the middle of it. How will you respond? John 1, 10 and 11, as we've quoted a couple times today, says, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, but the world did not know Him. It did not experientially understand who He was. did not comprehend Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. Because the idea behind it is, had they known Him, had they understood who He was, they would have received Him. Do you know Him? Have you received Him? See, this morning, that's the question that lays before us. How have you and how will you respond? And it matters desperately. It has eternal implications for each of us. You see, Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. You see, first and foremost, we're all sinners. We all have violated God's law. We fall short of the, the design for which He called us. He, sin is in our hearts, and it's not just because it's been passed on to us. We've all sinned. We've all committed, broken God's law in one way or another. We've committed sin. And the penalty for that, there's a consequence for that. And we like to think that we can get out of every ticket, every penalty, every consequence. But this is one that none of us can escape on our own. For the wages of sin, Romans 6.23 says, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, that's the compassion that we're offered. That's the gift of compassion that is put before you this morning. And it is our prayer that you have either responded in faith and repentance to God, or that at this very moment, that as you sit there and you consider these things, the compassion of Jesus Christ, that the Spirit of God is helping you understand, that's me. I'm that sinner. And that the Spirit of God then puts the pieces together for you and, and says... And I need to trust Him as my Savior. I need to move in repentance and faith and trust in this one. Receive this beautiful, costly, humble gift of compassion that Christmas is all about. And that's our prayer for you this morning. And then that having received that compassion, that you would move in similar compassion in this world around us. You see, the gospel is not just a gospel that changes your heart. The gospel is a, is a, is a living, active work that happens in your heart in response to, to Christ that then overflows, transforming your life and the lives of the people around you. The compassion that Jesus brought should overflow out of your heart to everyone. Everyone.
Mercy for the least worthy, such as we were. Love for even those who might be considered our enemy, like we were to God. Costly compassion instead of selfish, cheap, and reciprocating compassion. So our prayer this morning is this. That may the compassion which flows from the throne room of heaven into the hearts of all those who believe abundantly overflow in our hearts towards those who we might believe deserve it the least. And in so doing, may our feeble attempts at meeting others' needs point them to the greatest compassion ever known. That they too might experience the greatest compassion of all and in turn overflow and repeat and repeat, repeat. It's as though we have an opportunity to repeat this sounding joy, to repeat what He has done for us over and over and over and in so doing put Him on center stage, not just at Christmas, but over and over and over throughout the year. That's our prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, by Your Holy Spirit, we've received the encouragement that is in Christ. We have received the comfort from Your love. And we've received the benefits of Your divine compassion in ways that are hard to even verbalize. And for that, we give You praise. By Your same Spirit, we pray that we might know the same mind and the same love. May You awaken us from out of our selfish ambition, out of our conceit and in its place. May we humbly count others as better than ourselves, as more significant than ourselves. Lord, in compassion, let us each look not only to our own concerns and our own interests and our own self-absorbed lives, but may we look out for the true needs, the greatest needs of others, and may the gospel of Christ, the hope of Christ, and the compassion of Christ overflow out of our hearts towards others. Even those, or we could say especially those, Lord God, that we see as enemies, those that we might not believe are deserving of our compassion. May you help us to see and live your compassion. And now, God, by your Spirit, magnify the compassion of Christ before us at this time of Christmas so that we are humbled in worship before you and moved with compassion for others. May our compassion ultimately point others to you over and over to the praise of your glory until one day when before the throne of God we will stand and then fall and confess that Jesus Christ, you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.